0: Good morning, everybody. Good afternoon, wherever you're at. Welcome to the Turfgrass Epistemology podcast. I'm Travis Shaddix. Thank you for joining me. I have today, um, some work to do outside that I do not want to do. I had to dig a trench. (laughs) Whoever built my house apparently built the lawn on a six inch bed of gravel. So every time I go in and try to do something, I gotta dig through six inches of gravel. But I gotta put some drainage in. So I'm doing everything I can to procrastinate and to not go out and do it. (laughs) So um that's what I got going on today. Beautiful day in Lexington. Can't imagine a nicer place to live than Lexington. It's so peaceful outside, sunny and cool and lovely day, cool season grasses going gangbusters right now in Lexington. Probably will so for the next several weeks. Today I have, we're going to continue with the cool season fall fertility topic. I have the last 1967 paper from Dr. Powell. It's very short. It probably holds the record for the shortest agronomy journal record or your shortest agronomy agronomy journal paper. (laughs) It's only two pages, one graph very, very short. Um, and what I'll do afterwards, because it's only going to take five or 10 minutes, but what I'll do afterwards is I'll follow that up today with another paper from sort of why Dr. Powell did this work. I can, I can include that paper after this as a quick, you know, add on to make the time up. Or, um, if you want to come on now, um, on the video, let me know in chat and I'll send you a link if you want to join me and we can discuss it and, or we can, I can ask you questions or you can ask me questions or whatever we can. In other words, instead of doing the paper after this paper, you can come on right now if you'd like, and we can have a conversation. If you don't want to, that's cool. I'll go over another paper, not a problem. Um, but if you want to send a note in chat and just say, Hey, I'll come on, then send a link, send an email to my email at Travis Shattuck's at Gmail. And then I'll I'll reply to your email with the link and stuff, and you can come on. It just takes me a couple of minutes. So I think I should be able to get you in here if you want to do that. And if you don't, totally cool. Um, question from Looney. He asks in chat, I've been looking into getting access to these papers and wondering which membership I should join. Would getting the CSA membership be enough, or should I also get the ASA or CSSSA membership too? So they're commonly called in the science world, the tri-societies. Getting access to one will give you access to all of them. After you join, let's say the ASA, they'll give you options as to which journals you want access to. So I don't know what the membership fee is now. I haven't looked at it. It's probably a couple hundred dollars. I, I don't really remember. But afterwards, you can get access to the actual journal by selecting which journal you want. I don't recall exactly. The last time I checked, I think they changed it to where. Well, you'll have to go in and look. I think you can just gain access to the electronic versions of it. In the old days, you had to select them and then they would send you the actual hard copy of the journal back in the 90s and before. Um, But now it's all electronic for the most part. So after you join the ASA, which is what I would suggest you do you'll have the options at that point to go and select which journals I I can't remember if you have to select I don't know if you have to select one or two and you pay per journal or if now they have like a umbrella membership for journal access I can't remember um okay 134 for each or 182 for two and two okay there you go so if that's the case Looney then that yeah they've changed it periodically throughout the years so i'm not sure exactly what they have nowadays but for some reason i i I end up the only journals you really need to get access to and i I think i if i recall i don't remember my membership now but um i normally get crop science is automatic i get that when there's not a question because the majority of turfgrass papers are going to go into crop science but I'm also a soil scientist, so I end up getting memberships to um, agronomy journal after that. And then you can get, you know, soil science Side of America journal or um, JEQ, which is the Journal of Environmental Quality. You won't really find it just depends on what your interests are. JEQ is not going to have like tissue test data or something like that. They're going to be more like leaching data and leaching results and, and you know, volatilization and things like that so but crop's going to have like the turf you know turf stuff and you know agronomy journal is going to have soil and turf and of course soil science is going to have mainly soils i wouldn't a soil science side of america would probably be my last journal if you're looking just for turf information because it's going to be mainly soil related i have a paper or two in there but um it's soil stuff i mean it is turf too but it's more soil um so that's the order I would do it. Crop science and then agronomy journal. And then maybe JEQ after that if you want to do that. Agri- Agriculture environmental letters is also in, in there as well. But it's a free. Um, I think it's open. I believe it's open access if I, if, I, if I recall. I don't recall exactly. It's been a while since I've looked through there. And then of course, um, crop forage and turf grass management is another sort of applied journal that I don't believe you have to pay for. You can get that for free as well. I think anybody can get that for free. I don't think you have to be a member. So, um, good questions. I'm glad you're interested in joining, um, it, it, you know, access to those journal articles and you can, I mean, if you're so inclined, you could join, pay for the membership, pay for the journal, and then just for that next year, just go through and save all the PDFs, you know, and collect all the the journal articles you wanted to. And then the only thing that you would lose after that year's membership would be any new publications right if you really were so inclined to really go into the literature there's hundreds and hundreds maybe thousands of turf grass articles in the crop science so um so you can really spend a lot of time going through there and but you know you spend one year on it you get a membership You know, you can make the most of it by really pulling out and saving all those PDFs. I mean, I can show you my file that I have PDFs in. It's, I don't know how many hundreds of articles I have in there from over the years. I've just saved them. In the old days before electronics, I would just have to photocopy them from the library or from the journal that I would receive. I would photocopy them. i keep them in a file cabinet and i keep them in alphabetical order by author because you have to have the hard copy paper. Um, But nowadays it's so much easier. Um... But thanks for your interest in that. So Randy, you have a question. Hello, I'm interested in relationships for root mass growth and carbohydrate reserves and how we can manage turf for more reserves. Can't find any good papers. Well, I guess my first question is, why would you want to manage your turf grass to have greater reserves of carbohydrates? So... Um, Today's paper is about roots, so we'll go into that a little bit. Yesterday's paper, Randy, I'm not sure if you were here yesterday, but yesterday there was quite a bit of discussion on roots and carbohydrates and how um, the application date and rate of nitrogen uh, influenced carbohydrate reserves. So if you weren't here yesterday, go back and watch yesterday's video. There's a little bit of discussion on that. Um, And then we'll have a little bit of discussion on that today as well. Not much, but a little bit. But in the short and skinny of it is is that carbohydrate reserves are used or stored in stems and roots more than in leaves usually as you go into the, the fall. And then there, usually there's greater hot carbohydrates in the leaves than in the stems as the plant begins to photosynthesize in the spring and summer. Depends on which plant's cool season or warm season. But at the end of the day, the carbohydrate in the roots are used to metabolize nitrogen and it doesn't need to use those carbohydrate reserves if there if there is a source of carbohydrates in the leaves it won't really pull from those and so the um that's sort of the gist of it basically so when car- photosynthesis occur or when nitrogen metabolization is required and there's no photosynthates or carbohydrates in the leaves and it'll pull it from the plant think of it it's exact it's not much dissimilar to, than your body honestly i used an analogy yesterday about this gentleman and i should have looked up his name who lives off in the brooks Range in alaska who does nothing but eat meat well he, he's gonna he can't survive unless he has carbohydrates so he has to eat the fat from the meat in order to be able to metabolize the protein and the meat that's critical for him is the fat and it's the same thing with us you know in order to metabolize nitrogen from the proteins we eat we have to have the carbohydrates. And when we have excess carbohydrates, we end up building fat. <laughs> That's how we get overweight. So it's very similar in, in, in plants. The concept is very similar. So anyway, thanks for joining me. Let's get started. Again, if you want to join me on video, the, uh, first, just say, hey, say, say you want to in the chat, send me a link in, or send me an email to the, my email, travischatics at gmail.com. This this paper is going to take like five or ten minutes to get through and we'll be done. If you don't want to join me, cool, I'll go into another article. Okay, here we go. Um so today's paper, Effect of Nitrogen on Winter Root Growth of Bentgrass. Winter Root Growth of Bentgrass. I said that wrong by Powell, Blazer, and Schmidt. There's the same authors that did the paper yesterday in 1967. So the previous paper was published in the summer. This paper was published in the fall or winter of sixty seven. Uh, very short. Um let's just get into it and we'll get through it. All right. Deep and extensive the introduction deep and extensive root systems aid in providing sufficient water nutrients and some energy from carbohydrate reserves. Let me see if I can get my pen out here. Okay. Um in it is generally thought that moderate in additions during growing seasons decrease root growth rate. Okay. S- this was in 67. Remember, and the paper I'm going to show after this, if, if no one wants to come on, then it's going to be from before this period. It really kind of opened. It really shows why Powell did this work from a previous paper. Um, however, little has been done on root growth rate during winter when metabolic activity is considered low. Recent work, this is his own work, recent work has shown that winter nitrogen additions in Virginia latitudes increase metabolic activity of cool season turf as evidenced by improved winter color. Remember yesterday's paper showed there was an improvement of winter color um, as a result of the nitrogen applications monthly or bimonthly. But we didn't get a lot of growth. And he concluded that the green color, the, the increased greening in the fall, um, that was not accompanied by increased growth, was a result of the freezing temperatures. In other words, the freezing temperature had a greater effect on the growth rate than it did on photosynthesis. There was still some photosynthesis occurring as a result, um, evidenced by the greening of the tissue, um, but there wasn't a lot of growth because it was so cold. Okay. So he, he says recent re- increased metabolic activity, photosynthesis, um, and in, in increased photosynthetic rate and slower depletion of carbohydrate reserves during winter. Okay, so uh Randy, your question was metabolic or was photosynthesis, or i'm sorry carbohydrates and roots. The paper yesterday talked about um nitrogen and you know rates and timings and the slower depletion of carbohydrate reserves during winter as a result of the nitrogen was, uh, the low nitrogen. The nitrogen effect upon winter growth was questioned since little or no top growth could be measured. Between December and March, so his paper yesterday they had a section cut out of the graph because there was no growth. In other words, you're mowing, you're taking clippings, and all of a sudden the grass goes dormant. well you, there's no nothing to collect when you're a scientist, there's nothing out there to collect, so they said there's no there was no growth, but apparently someone in the 60s following his paper said, "Hey, wait a second, they questioned it, and he says right here it was um, the in effect on winter growth was questioned. Because there was no growth, (laughs) so he went out and did another study, which is the one we're talking about right now, to to show what happened with the roots. Okay, and I'm gonna—you'll see—as it was yesterday, I'm whiting out different sections of this to kind of keep me focused and kind of keep the the paper down, the the podcast down to about you know an hour or less. So, but what's whited out is really not pertinent to the author's objectives and what they, what they concluded. So if you want all the information that's been um, in the paper, then you'll have to um, download the the paper. Some of these are open access. Some of these aren't, but okay. So here's the object data, uh, data are presented here on growth rate of bent grass roots under putting green conditions as affected by in applications during the fall and winter. So if you want to know what happens on bent grass, cool season grass, during the fall and winter following in application, you want to know what happens to the roots. Here it is. This is what he found so real quick what he did so it says uh, this topsoil and sand were mixed with a mixer and placed in aluminum cans. so basically what he did was he went out and put it um he mixed up these aluminum cans and he put the aluminum cans in a putting green basically and he maintained it and then he, he did that so he could remove that section uh, that he planted the grass in he could remove that section uh, as in the can and then have an easier uh, ability to measure the effect of root growth subsequently after that you can also take those cans in that case we wouldn't do that today but um, you can take that and place those in um, uh, temperature chambers and growth chambers and things like that more easily than uh, than not doing that so um, he had them in cans and he took use those cans as samples basically 12 days after planting on october twelfth, nineteen 1966 the experiment was initiated in 100 milliliters of nitrogen solution at designated rates from ammonium nitrate so he used ammonium nitrate and he, used, he applied it in a solution. And I'm going to show you the rates that he used and the timings that he used. But that's the nitrogen source that he used. Root growth rate was highest during fall. And sp- okay, so before we get to the results and discussion, let me show you the, the, um, the uh, treatments that he used. If I can get it on the screen here without screwing everything up. So these are the treatments that he that he used. Uh, forget about the graphs right now. Just look at the table. If you're not if you're not if you're just listening, I'll explain it to you. The treatments and the sampling dates. So what he did was he had a non-treated control in here, so he didn't do anything to it, and then he had one pound of nitrogen per thousand square feet applied in October, and then he had one pound applied in October and December, or one pound, a pound one or one pound applied in October, December to February. So he's spacing out the months. Or one pound applied October, December, February, April, or two pounds applied October, December, February, April. So he's basically doing one pound a month. I'm sorry. He's doing one pound or one pound in two months or one pound over three months or one pound every, you know, every month for four months or two pounds. so he's increasing the rates and he's, and he's applying it either once a month or he's playing it once a month, but he's either playing it one month and then he's doing it, you know, every other month or whatever, or every single month or whatever. Okay um so that's that was the treatments he used ammonium nitrate at one pound per application per month and then he just basically did it every month or um you know once once one month you you saw it you saw the treatment i'm stumbling over my words here uh okay so that's basically it (laughs) that's the treatments and then we're going to go into the results uh let's see here uh Looney has a question. Are soil or air temperature recorded when these applications are made? Fall and winter temperatures are up here or much colder. And I do wonder when to stop applying nitrogen based on temps, not a date. So um, you are right about applying nitrogen based on temps, not a date. That is probably a more accurate way to do it. In these papers, they do record the temperatures. Um they're behind these little whiteouts. This particular paper I don't recall. Um I do know that. Uh, let me see. Let me switch it back to me. Let me see exactly if they did this or not on this paper. And I'll just read it to you. Usually they do record the temperatures. I don't see it in here. So this one, they might not have recorded the temperature of those dates. I don't see it in. I don't see it in here, Looney. Um, I may be missing it, but I don't. I don't see it on the on the PDF. Um, I believe yesterday's paper had the temperatures on. There. In fact, I know it did because he took he did photosynthesis on two different days. One was um, on a warm day, and one was on a cold day. Uh, that was from yesterday's paper. So yesterday has the temperature in there. I don't know if I mentioned it or not, but. They do have record the temperatures. So I'm going to read through here because you can see this is the end of the paper. This is it. <laughs> There's two more paragraphs. I'm going to go back and talk about the graph here in just one second. Um, the amount of nitrogen per application made little difference as shown by the similarities and root weights of treatments five and six. So I remember, treatment six was applying two pounds a month. Treatment five was applying one pound a month. And there was little differences between those. However, monthly additions of nitrogen from December to spring retarded root growth rate. I'm gonna show that bent grass, which was received no fertilization, gave good fall growth, but roots grew very slowly in the spring. But the first in application in October, one or two additional bi-monthly applications gave best total root growth. Such medium rates of nitrogen may be very desirable. May be very desirable. If nitrogen rates are too high, carbohydrates are used for in metabolism. So I think it was Randy who said something about that was interested in the roots. When your nitrogen rates go go too high and your uh the supply of nitrogen is inflated to such a degree the plant is going to take up what it can and if it exceeds the ability or if it exceeds the ability of the plant to metabolize the nitrogen from the carbohydrates in the leaves it'll start pulling carbohydrates out of the stems and roots okay and that's what he's saying here if N rates are too high carbohydrates are used for nitrogen metabolism it's not a bad thing necessarily, it just it has to, it can't assimilate, it can't metabolize the nitrogen without those carbohydrates. If N-rates are too low, the plant becomes very brown, photosynthesis is greatly reduced, and carbohydrates may not be available for root growth. So basically you're saying too, it's like a Goldilocks zone. Too low, you're going to have issues too high, you're going to start stripping carbohydrates out of the plant that probably won't you know, result in some desirable outcome. So somewhere in the middle is probably the the desirable rate for this particular study. From these results, uh, it is concluded that bi-monthly nitrogen applications during fall and winter in Virginia latitudes will not only improve winter color and quality of hardy turf grasses, but will also improve root growth. I'm gonna hold off on that when it says improve root growth by every other month applying nitrogen. I'm gonna show you in a second why you know that is true, but we wanna be aware of other things, so just a second. Uh, turf plants have a larger energy energy supply and a greater ability to remove water and nutrients from the soil during later stress periods if they have greater roots. Also, the greater root growth during early spring improves the competitive ability of cool season turf. This, so he's just postulating what the benefits might be. Um, so when applying nitrogen during fall and winter, low end rates should be used in the spring. This decreases the problem in spring of excessive top growth and poor root growth, which results from high rates of nitrogen fertilizer. So let me go back and look at the graphs. Okay. So if I can zoom in here, which is not letting me zoom in now, there we go. Okay. Um, so we're going to look at these graphs. I'm going to zoom out just a little bit here if it lets me. Okay. So these are the graphs. If you're listening and not watching, I'll explain what's going on. So his statement at the end was, um, nitrogen applications will improve root growth in the fall and winter applications, late fall and Uh, nitrogen applications every other month or will improve root growth which is true okay but we want to be aware of what's what's occurring relative uh, to not applying the nitrogen throughout that time from the first application and, and the last rating and that is this so this t1 remember is no nitrogen okay this t6 is the two pounds per month, which is this right here, T1, T6. Okay. So we're applying here eight pounds of nitrogen with this T6 and we're applying no nitrogen with the T1. And you can see what will happen with these roots on bent grass in Virginia. You have to qualify all this stuff with the roots, weight and grams. So you see, uh, whatever the, no, this line right here, this is October, all the way through into the early spring, February and March. It, they the not, not applying any nitrogen resulted in more root growth than applying eight pounds of nitrogen. And the same thing if you look over here in these graphs, applying four pounds of nitrogen is very similar to applying eight pounds over here. This line is very similar to this line. Okay, the these are the same, uh these are the same data points. They just separated them out in different graphs. I don't know why they did that back then, but okay. So early on. In this in the fall and the winter and even in, into the very early spring nitrogen is not going to enhance root growth it's probably going to de- to reduce root growth at least in this paper that's what he's showing however at after like mid-spring in this particular we're in virginia don't forget so mid-spring say aprilish around april this is this line right here what I'm making here that that's when the roots become equivalent, and you'll see the same thing over here, roughly on in April. That's when these uh, lower rates of nitrogen, the, the two three, the the two pound and the three pound rates of nitrogen, which are this line right here and this line right here, they're going up substantially in the the number of roots or the the mass of roots into the number the, the mass of roots. So early on, the roots are being depleted. The reach of, the mass of roots is being uh, reduced as a result of nitrogen applications but in the spring that nitrogen is there the the plant starts growing and the root mass begins to grow as well as when as as compared to not applying any nitrogen okay so i guess the take-home message and, and you can see that here in the two in the two the t3 was uh two pounds of nitrogen you can see that the greatest increase was From applying one pound in October and one pound in December in Virginia, you saw a largest increase in root growth in the spring. It followed by one pound in October, one in December, and then one in February. uh, One in February, three pounds. So, if you're interested in roots, which you know can be an important part of your program, if you don't apply anything, you're probably going to have greater roots in the spring, in the fall, and winter applying a little nitrogen in october a little nitrogen in december uh you'll probably deplete some of those roots in the in the winter but you'll come out in the spring with more roots as it as the turf begins to grow okay <clears throat> does that make sense to everybody i think <clears throat> that should be basically the take home message for this paper is the quite the the title of the paper is um if I can get it back out here. The effect of nitrogen on winter root growth of bent, bent grass. And the effect is. Redu- reduction in root mass early on in the fall and winter. And an increase in root mass in the spring. Compared to not applying any nitrogen. So that's. Those are the two Powell papers that are. Well the first paper yesterday was the one everybody refers to. And this is a follow up paper. About the influence on roots. Okay. Short and sweet. Now why did powell even do this work um as he mentioned at the beginning um of both of his papers he said you know the the thought process or the belief is is that you're going to have problems or or fall nitrogen applications are going to result in death or winter kill or disease or whatever whatever the case is and there was some evidence to support that it wasn't just some notion that existed in the industry back then there was some literature that it, that showed there might be something going on there and so the next paper that I'm going to just follow up with this paper is about that um real quick let me let me look and see if there's any okay so um before I get to that paper let me just go through the chat real quick I was asking, uh, Randy says, I was asking about turf surface recovery for soccer fields and temperature outside normal for, let's say, C3 grasses. Um, If we can build more, I guess that's total non-structural carbohydrates, then we can push more in when there is not enough net photosynthesis for top growth and deplete them. Whoops, hang on. Something's in the way here. And deplete them. Then, when there is no game, when there are no games, and temps are optimal to rebuild them, well, I mean, yeah, possibly. I I I managed some sports fields down in Miami for a year or so, <clears throat> and they had the games at the worst possible time. <laughs> when I whenever I the, the, I was managing Bermuda grass in Miami, but even in the winter, Bermuda grass slows way down. <clears throat> well. I wanted to do all my all of my uh cultural practices at a, at the optimum time of year but the optimum time of the year was the exact same time they're playing all the time you know so I couldn't ever get in and man and do proper correlation and you know even fertile fertility and pest. it is difficult because I'm trying to work around games there was 8 or 10 soccer fields down there And every time it's like okay now's the time to do it you had to like set aside a week or two and then the coaches would raise cane over it It was just a it was just difficult to get everything lined up to the ideal agronomic schedule because of the need to use those fields so i I think i understand what you're saying when um when there are no games and temps are optimal to rebuild them i you know I'm, you're probably on the you're thinking probably on the right lines, Randy. I would just say that I, I don't know your case. I don't know how many games you had. Okay, in in my in in Miami, I would have on a on one soccer field. I would have one, two, three, seven in seven soccer fields painted on one soccer field. So there'd be one full field, and then one on each half, and then sometimes two on each of those halves. And it was just nonstop. The the traffic was insane. There, you had, I mean, you couldn't keep enough grass on there. It was just, it was the worst traffic. I I can't even imagine having worse, unless you're in the NFL or on a horse track or something. It was crazy, and there were games literally like there might, there might not. I think there was games six days a week. There might have been one day when there weren't games on those fields. It was absolutely crazy. So I don't know your situation when there are no games and then temps are optimal to rebuild them. So if you have enough time when there are no games and you can get out there and do some work on them, get them, get them, you know, resupplied and so forth, then you might have something. It just kind of depends on how many games you're dealing with. If it's, if it's insane, then there's, I think you might be, you know, it might be challenging to do what you're thinking of doing because if there's just never a non there's just nonstop games all the time. Um, but if you have a break, you know that's that's something to consider. I suppose is what you're saying. I, I would, I would venture to say, Randy, and not knowing your situation, you might be overthinking it a little bit. I mean, the the plant's going to, you know, absorb that nitrogen if it's out there, but the, and, and keep growing. It just dep- It just depends. If you're going, to, if you need the top growth to keep up with the damage, then you've got to apply nitrogen. It doesn't matter what's going on with the carbohydrates. You've got to get the nitrogen in there. you got to get the plant growing as fast as it can grow to keep up with the damage from the traffic. But if you're thinking about like, how am I going to balance that most efficiently to build it up and have reserves later? It's possible. But when you, it just depends on traffic. If you have so much damage and it just destroys the turf, like what's happening with me in Miami, it doesn't matter how efficient you're trying to get with the carbohydrates and the nitrogen applications and trying to maximize efficiency. It's just going to be destroyed in the first two weeks of game, any of the gameplay anyway. I think I want to say the only time I was even off down there was the like the four day weekend of Thanksgiving. Uh, and there might have been like a two day break during Christmas. I can't remember now. It's been on so many years. But there was essentially basically two weeks of break during the entire year. That, that's essentially it. So there was nothing I could do. Um, if you're in that situation, it might be a little bit too technical to try to get carbohydrates served. If you're in, if you're in a situation different, though, and you have some break times where you can actually you know, schedule certain things, then you might be able to, to use that. Strategy to build up carbohydrates when there's no games, and it might be able to better survive the traffic as a result of its reserve carbohydrates potentially. Okay. Again, it just that's just completely dependent upon where you're at, and the amount of traffic, and time of year, and all that stuff. Okay. um Let's get to the next PDF. The next the next article. This is another. This is actually a really long one, but I've canceled. I've whited out a whole bunch of it because um all I want to get to is the part that. Um, was used by scientists back then to validate the need to do more research. Let's look at it. Okay, the name of this article is Effect of Heavy and Late Applications of Nitrogenous Fertilizers on the Cold Resistance of Kentucky Bluegrass. Now, you might look at this article title and go, that's a pretty good article title, right? I mean, seems pretty relevant to today. Heavy and Late Applications of Nitrogen Fertilizer on Cold Resistance. That sounds pretty relevant. It's an interesting title, and you might want to read it. It's a new new work, right? This was published in 1939. All right. So even in 1939, before World War II, okay, this was still coming out of the Great Depression, and they were doing this work in the United States about heavy and late applications of nitrogenous fertilizer. So I'm going to get through this real quick. It's really not that long. I will say this is that they don't have a lot of the same information as that we have today. So it's not easy to get through this article with much confidence in the results because they don't have the same statistical separation. They don't even have the same information to be able to repeat the the, the study in many cases. Um, this was you know, 80, 90 years ago when the scientific structure and requirements and papers, which just hadn't been refined to the point that it is today, So I can't repeat and go back and do this again because there's information that was left out. Nevertheless, um, again, the reason I'm showing this is because Dr. Powell had good reasons to do the work he did, but between 1939 and 1967, when he published those papers, there was a lot of ambiguity as to what's going on. People were following certain procedures and methods, um, and then Dr. Powell came along and said, well, I'm finding that none of those really happened in my case, being... Uh, disease or winter kill as a result of of late season nitrogen application i didn't see any of that and then after powell's papers when is when a lot of the management practices begin to change and go, well you know what we can't apply nitrogen in the fall and everything's okay but before powell's papers there was this and there, this is what they were going on and that is well get get into it this paper did find some damage the condition under which t- turf perform turf Forming grasses on lawns and recreation fields are maintained are highly ex- ex- exacting. This is due chiefly to frequent and often close defoliation. On golf courses and athletic fields, the situation is further aggravated by much trampling. So today we'd say traffic. Remember, this is 1939. To maintain a good sward under such adverse conditions, uh, to maintain a good sward under... Conditions, resort is often made to liberal use of fertilizers in order to take full advantage of cool growing weather in late autumn and early spring. The top dresses are often made in the fall. So he's saying, hey, uh, during the cool weather season in the fall, nitrogen applications sometimes made. Real simple. These applications are regarded as desirable where annual weeds such as crabgrass are, are a pest. Under such conditions, spring and summer treatments may do more harm than good through undue stimulation of the weeds. Now, you have to keep in mind, this is back pre-pesticides that we use today they didn't have the herbicide pre-emergent herbicides and post-emergent herbicides that we have today so back then weed presence and weed populations were a huge issue and so they're trying they they were saying you should really uh, should avoid these certain times of year to apply nitrogen because it's going to enhance the growth in the population of weeds that was a major issue back in this back in the 30s and 40s in the, in the judgment of many pr- practical turf growers, however, late fall applications are detrimental because in their opinion, they interfere with the, no, the normal hardening off of the grass with the coming of cold weather and thus render it less resistant to the low temperature of winter. So they're saying, very simple, the thought process was a lot of nitrogen in the fall is going to increase the, cold, uh, cold, the risk of cold damage or winter kill. So the, the objective of this paper uh, was to determine whether or not the above assumptions held by certain growers has any basis. In fact, I love even though this isn't 39. I and this wouldn't probably be allowed today. I love the way that's written. <laughs> I don't know why. We probably couldn't get that in today's papers the way it's written. But it says, you know, is, do we want to know whether or not the assumptions that these people have, or is there any f- fact, you know, to support them at all? I love the way it's written. The investigation was comprised of two parts certain physicochemical determinations are made of unfertilized and heavily fertilized turf grass determinations of constituents which are generally regarded as associated with winter hardness. I'm not going to show those um, it has to do with moisture and sap and things like that. The two class and the number two, the two classes of grass were exposed to varying degrees of artificial refrigeration and thus was determined under comparable conditions of resistance of each to low temperature. I'm gonna show that. So they're going to show like, nitrogen applications of uh, control and high nitrogen applications and they're going to and then i'm going to show the part of the paper that says there was uh either survival or a reduction in survival following um the, um the exposure to cold temperature okay i don't know where this was was done there's nothing again there's this was in the 30s they didn't do things the way they do it today but i don't know where they conducted this they don't show it in the materials and methods um, but um they used kentucky bluegrass Um, they so although each received its nitrogen through a different carrier, all were top dressed to receive nitrogen at the same rate of two and a half pounds per thousand square feet, and they made the applications in April, June, September in in 1931, and then April, July, and October in the in the next year, 1932, I guess. Okay, oh no, 1930, 1931. Okay, so can you you have to imagine back then people were on food lines. From the great depression in nineteen twenty nine when the stock market crashed, and it was just um no, it was just destitute poverty in many parts of the United States and here these guys are out doing research on nitrogen applications to turf grass, so <laughs> it's set the stage' it's very very interesting how what they were doing back then okay um <clears throat> each uh there was an unfertilized check supplement okay uh s- I'm not gonna go through that. Now, to test the relative resistance of unfertilized and fertilized Kentucky bluegrass to low temperatures, a quantity of each kind was grown in gallon jars in a greenhouse in the winter of 1932 and 33. The grass was grown in jars so they could be transferred without disturbance of the roots to an artificial refrigeration room and they're exposed. So that's how they did it. They grew it in a greenhouse, they transferred it into a cold, a cold chamber is what we call today our controlled temperature chamber, and they exposed it to temperature. For very, for very, at various temperatures, for various lengths of time, and then they removed them, and then they uh, watched them grow for another two weeks. And whatever plots, whatever pots were dead, they marked as not survived. Real simple. And any pots that survived, they marked them as survived. And that's how you're going to see the data. I've whited out all this stuff in here. It's a lot of um, information. If you want it, again, oh, this this paper was published in Plant Physiology. It's a journal. Um, you can actually go download this. It's actually available for free. Um, just go, just just Google this the title "Effect of Heavy and Late application of Nitrogenous Fertilizers on the Cold Resistance of Kentucky Bluegrass," and it'll pop up one of the first two or three links, and you can download this for free. It's in Plant Physiology Journal, nineteen thirty nine. Okay, <clears throat> so the results of freeze Kentucky bluegrass grown in a greenhouse, <clears throat> and then oh, and then he did another study. I'm going to show it in a second where he had them growing outside and he collected the the uh, samples at different months. The idea being that if I collected in October versus November, the November collection might have a different physiological um, you know, stage whereby the turf may have hardened off and the turf might be acclimating itself to the cold weather because it stayed out longer. And then if you did it in December, maybe the December plants acclimated even more And maybe they hardened off. So he collected some in October, he collected some in November, and he collected some in December, and then he froze them. And I'm going to show that after this table. So we're looking at the effect of just um, temperature, but we're also looking at the effect of temperature following a hardening off effect, a harding and hardening off time period at low and high nitrogen. Okay. So this is the first one without the hardening off effect. Okay, it is evident from the high nitrogen. It is evident that the high nitrogen was more than so this remember this is two and a half pounds of nitrogen from ammonium sulfate three applications so seven and a half pounds of nitrogen and this low end from my best it didn't say it didn't identify low and high end but from my best understanding of the paper is the low end is the non-treated plots so no nitrogen i could be wrong on that but i've read this paper two or three times and i can't see where they applied a low and a high they applied seven and a half pounds of nitrogen or no nitrogen so it is evident that the high nitrogen was more susceptible than low nitrogen grass to low temperatures, since at each sub-zero temperature the percentage of survival was lower. So when you see here, the low, the low, uh, the, oh, here it is, the low is at 95 when exposed to the when the temp- soil temperature was negative six. The high nitrogen was 50. So we're talking about a 50 percent reduction in survival um, when high nitrogen was applied. Okay. And, if, and as the temperature declines from 6 down to 16 here, okay, the temperature's going down, you can see that both survival of the low and high do go down, but the high nitrogen, say at 11 is at 45%, and, and at the low nitrogen is at 80%. So you can see that the high nitrogen here is resulting in a reduction in survival, okay? That's just by simple exposure to cold temperatures, all right? so you could there's a little bit of information here that might convince you that these this is you know high nitrogen's causing damage to turf let's get to this graph this is kind of the um uh, the let's see if I can get it all on the screen here this is this is the uh the one where we're talking about hardening off so what i've what I've done here in these green boxes is I've highlighted the low and high nitrogen survival, and you look up here and you'll see October that he collected them in October, October twentieth. He collected this one on October twelfth, October sixteenth, and in December first. So he's collecting the, the the samples outside at these different dates, and then putting the samples in a freeze chamber, freezing them, and then taking them out and um, seeing how many of them survived after two weeks. So he took t- or he took them out, and then um. Watch them grow for two weeks. So he expo and he exposed them to negative twenty five degrees Celsius. And here's the times he exposed it for two hours, four hours, five hours, or five and a quarter hours. Okay, so he took them out of the field, put them in a freeze chamber basically for two and a half hours, or four or five or five and a quarter hours at negative twenty five degrees C. All right, and you can see here the the final soil temperature that he ended up going to. No, you can see in both of these at the October 20th sampling date were the same. 100% 100 survived for two and a half hours, 50% survived at four hours, but at five hours subjected to negative 25, all the turf was dead, whether it was at low or at high. Then in November, so three weeks later, four weeks later, he collected them again, and you'll start to see a little bit of separation where all of them survived at two and a quarter hours, 100% 100% of the low nitrogen survived at four and a half, but only 75% of the high nitrogen. You can start to see now at five hours, 75% of the low nitrogen pots are still alive, but almost all the high nitrogen pots are dead, okay, when it was collected in November 12th. So now November 16th, we see kind of similar results, but let's skip ahead to December 1st. So now this the December 1st turf has been outside for a much longer period than October, another couple of months. The idea being that the turf got the chance to harden off a little bit more and that it would, the influence of freezing would be a little bit less or, um, it would be a little more hardy, I guess is the way to say it. The turf would be more resistant to cold temperature. And you can start to see that is true. So we see that when the temperature, when the time, when the plants were, uh, subjected to cold temperatures for two and a quarter hours, two and three quarter hours, the low nitrogen hundred percent survived three hours, hundred percent survived at low nitrogen. But even at five hours, we still had 40% survival of, of the, uh, low, from the low nitrogen treatment. Okay. Whereas at five hours when the sample was collected in October, we had zero survival at no nitrogen. So that kind of gives you an idea is that if you know you to allow the plant to harden off is beneficial in terms of its ability to resist cold tolerance. Okay, however, when we applied high nitrogen, so this was very low nitrogen a high nitrogen, you can see a, a, a an inf- an effect. only seventy five percent has survived at two, uh, as exposed to two and a half hours of cold temperatures. So the idea being that night, maybe the temperature drops by whatever temperature and it's exposed to freezing temperatures for two and three quarter hours. seventy five percent survived twenty five percent died when it was exposed to high nitrogen, and none of it died when it was exposed to low nitrogen. And you can see the the survival rate declines greatly as the temperature is as the exposure is is prolonged for more time. And the difference between these two is the effect of the nitrogen rate. So this is where Powell, Dr. Powell, um, and others at the time uh, received information from. This is this is this is what they were saying when they said. I'm gonna go through the rest of the paper in a second, but that's what this is what they were saying when they said, "Hey, this is people are are not applying nitrogen in the fall because the idea is is that applying nitrogen in the fall is going to result in some harm to the turf." Uh, and there was some evidence to support that. It wasn't just crazy talk. I mean, it wasn't just people doing whatever they want to do. They, there was some research, although albeit not, um, you know, typically or standard for today's, According to today's standards, it's not strong but um, there was something there in the literature from their for their standards back then that you know was sufficiently convincing to you know have turf grafts managers avoid applying nitrogen in the fall because clearly there were some issues in terms of its ability to resist uh, cold cold damage cold tolerance okay let's go back to the to the pdf so the discussion on this and this is almost done we only have uh one or just a few pages actually i've that a couple paragraphs so artificial refrigeration of Kentucky bluegrass grown in greenhouses and hardened in the low temperature chamber showed that high was more susceptible than low nitrogen grasses to sub-zero temperatures. Likewise, artificial refrigeration of Kentucky bluegrass grown out, out, out of doors and hardened naturally by gradually lowering temperatures during the fall months showed that high was more susceptible than low nitrogen grass to sub-zero. So in this case in Kentucky bluegrass, I don't know where this was con- was conducted. They didn't tell me where it was conducted, but in this case, they're showing that high nitrogen did result in increased um, damage when exposed to cold tolerance. The refrigeration test, therefore, indicates that heavy and late applications of nitrogen fertilizer Kentucky bluegrass reduce its resistance to subzero temperatures. So you can see very clearly why they thought that back then, why they were not applying nitrogen back then before Powell's paper because there wasn't a whole lot of work but there was some work done and then clearly it showed that there were some potential problems the results indicate that applications of nitrogenous fertilizers in the fall when the grass is naturally hardening off reduce the elaboration of hydrophilic colloids i don't know what they're referring to here in the hydrophilic colloids in the plant but that's just what they thought the the, the expressible sap duration or during that period is consistently higher in the high than in the low nitrogen on contrary the bound water this is i didn't show this he talks about bound water and and hydrophilic colloids and basically constituents inside the plant that were associated they're thought to be associated with cold tolerance um let's go down to the summary i'll just talk about the last two um summary points here this is this would be the conclusions you can read the conclusions here but i just highlighted highlighted the last two artificial refrigeration of both classes of grass after hardening showed that the high nitrogen grass was less resistant than low nitrogen grass to low temperatures the last one is Inasmuch as the difference in nitrogen content of the Kentucky bluegrass was induced by heavy and late applications of nitrogenous fertilizers, it follows that such a practice may be expected to lessen somewhat the resistance of Kentucky bluegrass to low temperatures. So now it might make sense why pow why Dr. Powell was doing that. You know, why was he actually going in and measuring these things? Because there was you know, from 30 years before he did it, you know You know, no one was really applying nitrogen in the fall. And for some reason, he's like, well, it seems like that'd be a good time to apply it. That's when the grass is growing. But people aren't doing it because they think the grass is going to die. So he went out and in his studies, he showed that in the field, he didn't have any death. There was no disease that came up. There was no, you know, adverse consequence to applying the nitrogen, even, now don't do this, but even... When he was applying two pounds a month for a total of 10 pounds of nitrogen in the fall in Virginia, he he didn't see those those same problems, okay? And since then, there's been a number of people continuing to do work. Occasionally, they'll show some issues um, in terms of risk and turf damage, risk. Occasionally, they'll show issues. Occasionally, they'll show some adverse consequences that are not associated with the turf, which is what we'll kind of go into in, in a future video. But in terms of the harm to the turf itself, Dr. Powell didn't find any. It, it, there was there really wasn't a lot of evidence to support, you know, not applying nitrogen because you think it's going to harm your turf. It didn't in the fall and in, in, in for cool season grasses. It just didn't seem to. There wasn't much evidence to support that notion. But the reason why he did it was because of this. There was some evidence prior to him that showed Kentucky bluegrass might, might have a problem with might have a problem. Okay, so those are the two little articles I did today. Um, Tomorrow's podcast will be at night. So I'm probably going to start doing Wednesdays at night to kind of give people an opportunity who who aren't um, available at this time to um, participate or to join during the live stream. So I'll do it tomorrow at 9 p.m., that might be a regular thing from now on. So Wednesday's podcast will be at 9 PM and then I'll, so it'll be Monday, Tuesday, Thursday at 10 AM Eastern time. And then Wednesday it'll be at 9 PM. I'm going to end up making some adjustments to the, to the podcast at some point. Um, but I think the Wednesday at 9 PM might be a standard thing. We'll see how that goes. Um, and tomorrow's paper is going to be, I already have that here. It's going to be I'm, – I'm kind of going – starting late in the 30s and the 60s with the early papers, and I'm moving more to today's papers. So tomorrow's paper will be um, the Wilkinson paper and the Wilkinson 72 paper, and then I'm going to go to 73, 74, and then I'm going to skip to the 2000s. So the, I'm doing some of the early papers. So the Wilkinson paper that I'll be covering tomorrow night – is a bit more in depth but it has it's titled the effects of fall fertilization on cold resistance color and growth of a kentucky bluegrass so this is very similar to the to the carroll 39 paper i just discussed he's talking about the cold resistance of kentucky bluegrass is affected by fall fertilization but he's including color and growth in this as well so we'll see what um, happened between 1939 when some of the early papers came out or the early paper came out between then and 1972, when they're doing something very similar on the same grass, so that'll be tomorrow night at 9 p.m. Okay, thank you all for showing up today. Thank you for particip- participating in chat. If you can join me tomorrow night at 9 p.m., do so. I'll be back on, on the on regular time on on Thursday at 10 a.m. ten a.m. Don't forget Monday, we have a guest author on on a Monday, and that that show will be at 11 a.m. Eastern time. You want you probably want to be here for that one. Uh, the last guest author that came on, it seemed like that was seemed like people liked that. So um, we'll we'll hear it from in his own words what he did and what the importance of his paper was. Okay, appreciate everybody for showing up. Thanks. Have a great day. Bye.